0: We can't rationally get through the logic of it in our minds. And oftentimes it's in our gut, which is called the second brain by many scientists. And the neurotransmitters that are in our brains are also throughout our central nervous system and do appear in our gut. So that belief that we can trust our gut, and it is telling us something just the way our brains tell us things is very valid. And I I believe science will continue to reveal why and substantiate that we should absolutely trust our gut. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen anderson April As you can probably tell from the audio, I'm on the move right now. But Ellie and I have a full schedule of bonus podcast episodes and other supportive content for all of us during this Valentine's month, whether you're single, married, or in something a little bit complicated. To kick things off, I wanted to share with you a podcast episode from a podcast in which I was interviewed called Perspective of the Mind by Diana Dimitrova and she asked her community what they would like us to cover and they wanted us to talk about the question of why do so many people end up in unhealthy intimate relationships which is a question I think we can all learn so much from whether we're currently struggling in a relationship or looking at the patterns from our past and realizing that some of these aren't so helpful for us or just trying to understand what will be the best fit for us moving forward in a relationship. I thought this conversation could be very valuable so I wanted to share it with all of us in the Love and Life family. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love & Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. Welcome to the podcast, Perspective of the Mind, or How to Get Unstuck When You Feel Stuck. Perspective of the Mind, How to Get Unstuck When You Feel Stuck. Host Jana Dimitrova. Everything provided on this podcast is solely for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes. The information provided shall not be considered diagnostic, treatment of mental health conditions, therapy, or anything similar, and under any circumstances shall not replace medical or mental health treatment. The opinions of the host or guests are solely the views of the individuals and can be changed at any time.
1: Dr. Karen, welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Diana. It's a real pleasure to share with your community. I'm so proud of you for starting your podcast and chasing your dream of getting psychological information out to people to help them thrive as well. And it's a real honor to appear in your program.
1: Thank you so much for the kind words. Dr. Karen. I have so many love topics that I would like to discuss with you, really. So for sure, I will invite you another time again on my podcast. But for now, let, let us lead this conversation into the topic, dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships. Well, who hasn't been in such a relationship, right? I mean, right. <laughs> I guess most of us, we have been in such a relationship. Maybe not all of us, but maybe like the majority. And although we, we know how it feels to be in unhealthy relationship. I would like today with you to to define what does it mean unhealthy relationship? What is basically the definition of dysfunctional unhealthy relationship?
0: Well, to your point so many of us have been there we have felt that we've been in those experiences in those situations so sadly we all probably have a touchstone for that we're like yeah mm-hmm. but to define an unhealthy relationship the other problem is that there's so many variations of unhealthy relationships sadly i think there's more opportunity for people to go astray in their relationships and be in unhealthy patterns and dynamics As opposed to being in a healthy functioning relationship. So for me and and for anyone I think who cares about really thriving in our partnerships, we look at unhealthy relationships when you are having dynamics within the relationship that are hurting each other, that are not empowering one another, that are disrespecting each other. Of course, all All manner of abuse would fall under dysfunctional relationships, unhealthy relationships. But anytime that you're really not thriving in who you were wired up to be, because the right partner is going to fit you like a glove, and it will be easy for you to be your best self, easy for them to be their best self, and for both of you to walk hand in hand together and have an enhanced life experience due to your partnership.
1: And you often say that the relationship shall be easy, right? This is something yeah. I would really like to talk with you because I think that there is a huge misconception that re- we have to struggle with uh, for a relationship, right? We have to pay w- with our suffering for having a partner. And that's not the case at all. Relationships, in maybe in their, uh, let's say, in most of their part, they should be easy. Doesn't mean without ups and downs, but kind of easy, right?
0: This is... I th- Yes, I stand by that, Diana. I really do. And it is, to your point, it's an unpopular opinion. And I think the the reason behind other people in this space saying that relationships are hard and you have to persevere, be tenacious, stick with it, is because they don't want people to give up too easily or to think that there's no there's no struggle in relationships because life is a struggle we always have struggles but we also want to find like i said earlier that person that's a real easy fit for us and for those of your listeners who don't know my background i started dating at 15 i didn't get married until i was 42 years old Along the way at age 34, I called off an engagement two months before the wedding was to occur. So I have been through every manner and variation of relationships. I have called off a wedding. I have broken someone's heart and I have had my heart broken many times along the way. So I have that background of knowing what a relationship that doesn't fit and that is too hard, too much work feels like and I have fallen prey and been guilty of trying to make it work because we've spent so much time together it's got to work now we've we've worked so hard we've got to get the payoff of having this make it make go the distance and make it last forever I've had that that concern that maybe I am giving up too soon what do I expect it's not going to feel like puppy love like when we were in middle school I've had those thoughts that kept me working so hard, struggling so hard in a relationship that wasn't meant to be. And that's why I stand by that theme and that adage of if it's so much hard work, maybe it's not supposed to work.
1: Yes, I absolutely fully agree with you. And um, as we identified what kind of unhealthy relationship looks like, Now I would like to ask you why why are so many people in unhealthy relationship? Is it just the way life is? And you know, we all should go through that in order to learn, to grow, to know what we would like to have in our life, what not. Maybe this is just the normal flow of life. What do you (laughs) (laughs) think?
0: Well, I agree with you that we will learn from our disappointments and our heartbreaks there's no wasted relationship, no matter how much hard work it was, we learn from that. We learn what doesn't work for us. We learn our deal breakers. We learn what we're willing to make adjustments for and what we will never compromise on. So in our journey to love, there will be those ups and downs and there will be those relationships that were not meant to be. And if we can frame them as a learning experience, they're still very valuable. But I think many people get stuck because ultimately the number one problem, I believe, is fear. There's the fear that this is as good as it it gets, so I better hang on to this. There's the fear of I don't want to be alone. It's better to have someone than no one, even if this someone isn't a great fit or even worse, is disrespectful and abusive to me. But at least I have someone. I don't want people to think that I'm unlovable and that fear also that I am unlovable. And so I'll just take what I can get. Uh, So many people really struggle with that fear of being alone now. And then because maybe they're alone for a season of their life, especially as they get further along in adulthood, and I'm 30 now and I'm still single and I don't want to be, I'm 40 now and I'm still single and I don't want to be, that fear of being alone becomes a fear of being alone forever. I think that's the main reason people stay stuck in unhealthy relationships.
1: Yes. And also like the shame that comes with being a single, especially after a certain age, right? Especially after 30, you're like, what's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> something <wrong> with you. <laughs>
0: okay. Yes. And, you know, I wrote a book about that for anyone who's feeling that know. shame. Yes. <laughs> so um,
1: how, how we can distinguish a deal breaker from those normal ups and downs and, um, because we said that sometimes people may say, well, we're, you're quitting too too easily. You have to give a little bit efforts. So where mm-hmm. is the borderline between deal breaker, ups and downs and like quitting too, uh, too early and really uh, putting efforts into a relationship? So how we can distinguish that?
0: That is such an important question. And I really advocate for people on the dating scene to get very clear with their values. Who are you? What are you about? What kind of lifestyle do you want to lead? So much of a happy partnership. And I know now from being married so happily for 10 years now, I know that happy partnership is because we have the same values and that goes to God and faith. And yes, politics, and that's an unpopular opinion, too, because a lot of the dating experts out there want to say none of that stuff matters. But the psychological research says, yes, it absolutely does matter that happy partnerships where you have that easy, that very fulfilling and happy and solid marriage comes from when you share the same values. There's just less to fight about. So as you identify your deal breakers, you look at your values. And so for me, I love God. So I couldn't be with someone who was an atheist. That would just be a life of misery, no matter how attracted I was to him physically. So you understand my value is I I must be with another Christian. And that's just important to me. I must be with someone who values family and who values friendships. I didn't want to be with a guy who only wanted to hang out with me. No, I I valued someone who also had a strong social network, who had strong connections to his family. That showed me his values and that let me know that our values aligned. So those would be the type of things, you look at your values, you get very clear about what they are. And then the top ones are in fact, deal breakers. Now there may be things like, that are less important as far as I like to play tennis. And in fact, I just came from my tennis lesson. I didn't have to have someone who played tennis. But the value of physical activity and staying fit, that was a key value. That would have been a deal breaker. I didn't want to be with a guy who was on the couch playing video games all day. That is out of step with my value for my lifestyle, the way I want to live. So you figure out your your values, which then help you determine your your deal breakers. And then you may have a list of things that you'd like, but they're not going to, they're not going to, you're willing to compromise a bit on those, but do not compromise on your top five six ten values because if you do you may have a few months of fun because you're so into each other but once that honeymoon is over you will be fighting you will be miserable and you will not have that easy relationship we've been talking about
1: exactly so we can just summarize that maybe like deal breakers are different for different people however sure. it in my mind that a deal breaker should be abused probably for everybody Right. I mean, this is like mm-hmm. some, something that um, everyone should not accept in their lives. Also, maybe a, a lack of communication. If you if you cannot communicate properly with your partner, what I don't know what kind of relationship is that about. Uh, so there are probably also those uh, deal breakers mm-hmm. that can be applied for sure. everybody. Right. And then mm-hmm. it comes to the values that you have mentioned and then our values become our deal breaker and they um they're different they for everybody
0: sure diana i do want to jump in on what you said about abuse because one thing that we see with many people in the dating realm is sometimes they don't even realize that they're in an abusive relationship maybe they've been treated with disdain and contempt and they've been talked down to, maybe at home, they maybe they had an abusive family. So when someone is minimizing them and disrespecting them, they don't even realize it. That's where we have to be really careful. If you have your, your closest friends who love you, close family members who love you, and they say things like, you know, I don't love how he treats you. You need to really look at that. If this is a pattern where it's over and over again, people seem to not like the people you're with because they, they're they concerned that you're not being treated well, please pay attention to that. And if needed, get some, some help, get a coach, get a counselor. Because sometimes, unfortunately, we've been treated in such a way for our entire life that when we are in a dating relationship where we are experiencing that emotional abuse, we don't even see it.
1: Yeah. That's so sad and you're so right. Sometimes the abused people, they don't really realize that they are abused. And I often say that when it comes to my friends and people around me, I never give directions about life. I I prefer people to live life as they would like to and I'm a supporter in their life. But if I see something like that, Mm -hmm. I will for sure speak up. Because nobody deserves that. And as you said, some people have been raised up in violent environments, in abusive environments. Mm-hmm. So their brain cannot really distinguish what is normal and what is not. And they accept it as normal. But as we see from, from behind, we have to raise the topic, right? Um yeah. yeah. Okay, so um and how how Dr. Karen, we we can effectively approach A partner with a difficult topics and Mm. uh, like those topics that can give birth within ourselves like birth of let's say fear of uh, uh, rejection or maybe Mm -hmm. abandonment or maybe um, fear of misunderstanding how we can approach uh, like is there a proper way we can approach a partner and, and we and we can say look i have something that i really would like to communicate with you Mm -hmm. i don't feel well about something or whatever what is the right way to do that
0: well the first thing i would recommend is to have an understanding of where you are in your journey as a partnership like if you're not exclusively dating if he hasn't asked you to be exclusively his girlfriend we we would say here i don't know how what you guys say in other parts of the world but if he hasn't asked to be exclusively dating you. Then let's remember that asking him for more of his time or more of his emotional connection isn't appropriate because we want to be careful when we're not exclusively dating. We're still gathering information. And the reason I say this is because initially we might ask for something and he'll be like, sure, I'll give it to you. But it came from a place of you having to ask for it. Until we're exclusive, we want to just gather that information to see if he's the person that we believe him to be. We don't want to put project onto him, oh, I want him to be this way with my family or with my friends, so I'm going to ask him to be that way. Well, he might do it just initially just because he sees that that's what you want, instead of having it come from a place of genuine and authentic response to the circumstances. Once you're exclusively dating, this is such an important point you bring up about communication patterns. Now, everyone's different and everyone has, in fact, we just recently did a series on conflict styles on my podcast love and life. And we talked about this because people have different communication styles which lead to different conflict styles and you're not necessarily talking about conflict but raising up a question or a concern that's a little bit you're nervous about that could lead to conflict. Personally, my style is to be very respectful of my partner's time even though we've been married a long time and I know I don't have any fear obviously that I could couldn't bring up anything to my husband or I don't worry about the rejection piece at this stage of our relationship, but I still want to be very mindful of his time. I'm not going to bring up something heavy in the middle of his work day. I'm not going to try to text him something that's on my heart. That's something that's a bigger issue. I'm going to wait until maybe after dinner, when we're relaxing, having a glass of wine. Now I might say, Hey, is this a good time to talk about something that's been on my mind? I think that's a really nice way to frame it. And then he could say yes or no, or like, actually, can we talk about tomorrow? Because I'm still kind of Decompressing from work, and it's just a lot going on. So, I think we need to be careful. That being said, we also don't want to feel that we are ever holding back, not sharing our authentic feelings and thoughts, especially once we're in that exclusive stage of relationship that we want to be fully ourselves. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. And that's exactly what we should have with our person. So at that point, I want to make sure, and there's actually research I saw, I came across a study. I have to find it because I, I couldn't find it when I looked for it again, but it was a study that showed that women who hold back and don't tell their husbands what they really think and feel die earlier than women who are more open with their husbands. Isn't that something? But it doesn't surprise me if you're stuffing all that information all the time. Yes, it's My- <laughs> inside the body, right? I mean- right, your body takes it on. Absolutely. It's one being here, our mind and our body and our spirit. But so I would just recommend as you are in that exclusive phase, start to get used to and be really in tune with how your partner is able to have ears to hear you. Now, some of us were emotional. We may like flap the handle. Most men don't do well with that. They shut down. There's even research that when our voice gets too high, like the male ear can't hear it. <laughs> I've seen that research too. I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that, those are my basic recommendations. I don't know if you have any follow-up questions for that or if that satisfied your thoughts.
1: Yeah. So it's very important the moment when we approach the partner and also like the way we communicate, we have to be yeah. like friendly and like really and really really expressing our thoughts and our feelings in a kind manner. I believe that there isn't anything that we can not share with uh, with our partner if we do that in an appropriate way, without shouting, without raising voices. You know, like really acting as mature people. Then, of course, we will be heard way more than uh, yeah. than the opposite. Right? If we are just um, doing that in not an appropriate time and with not appropriate voice. Okay, Dr. Karen. And then I, I'm very curious about this question. What do you think? So I believe that most of us, we know from the very beginning of a relationship about the red flags, about the teal breakers, we kind of see them uh, and if we don't see them we feel them somehow we feel them deeply inside of us however we just make ourselves blind to them or just decide well person will be changed like the situation will change so do you think that we know basically everything from the very beginning of the relationship in most of the case
0: i do i agree with you and my personal experience with ending up calling off my wedding i can it's a perfect example of what you're just saying. I had just turned 30. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I wanted the things that my friends were starting to have. I started feeling that shame, that single shaming you referred to earlier. I started to doubt myself. I started to think, like you said earlier as well, what's wrong with me? How come all my friends are happily married and I'm not? Like, what's going on? So when I met my ex fiance and he was a really great guy and a really smart and disciplined and driven and had a great job and would have provided a great life and loved me deeply and would have been a great father all on paper. We, he checked every box, but through it all, I never, in my gut, it just never felt right. Even though there was no good reason, again, on paper, if I checked, here's what I'm looking for. And so that, still voice that kept saying, but Karen, it's not right. But Karen's not right. I dismissed it. I didn't listen to it. And so that was a real touchstone. And I I stayed with him for three years, got engaged, was engaged for a year before two months before the wedding, I called it off. And it was all the fear that we spoke about earlier and the shame we spoke about earlier. So I had to, through that. And like we said, every relationship can be a learning point. I had to really embrace what you just said, that your gut will not lead you astray. And there's more and more psych research coming out about that, that we really do have this, this intuition that we can write off because we can't see the lot. We can't, rational, uh, rationally get through the logic of it in our minds. And oftentimes it's in our gut, which is called the second brain by many scientists and the neurotransmitters that are in our brains are also throughout our central nervous system and do appear in our gut. So that belief that we can trust our gut and it is telling us something just the way our brains tell us things is very valid. And I, I believe science will continue to reveal why and and uh, substantiate that we should absolutely trust our gut because from the beginning, we can often know, I'd say most of the time, I agree with you, know that it's just not right. And and my advice in this piece is, you don't have to have a, a rational answer. If your gut's telling you, listen to your gut and move on.
1: Yes, every time I didn't listen to my intuition, to my gut instinct, that I did a mistake, every time. Yep. And I believe that, Our intuition is somehow connected with our subconscious mind that knows way more than we do with our conscious small mind. And that's why it's important to listen to our gut uh, instinct and our intuition, even though it may not make sense in the reality. As you said, this person that you was going to marry, uh, he checked all the boxes, but something inside of you was saying that this is not the right step for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are saying to me, because I, I <laughs> if you're in my close circle, you'll see I'm talking about intuition often. I mean, my intuition says no. <laughs> and they're like, your intuition is always a superpower. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> but how you can distinguish intuition from fear? Mm-hmm. This is the question I, have, I often, um, often receive. And the answer for me is, in order to hear my intuition, I have to be firstly calm very calm in a calm place if i'm mm-hmm. anxious or overthinking overwhelmed this is not an intuition at all maybe that, for me it happens in meditative state and also this is like a huge deep knowledge i mm-hmm. even cannot explain it it's just you know it it's like that mm-hmm. and you don't know to ask more questions It's just a knowing right like deep inside of me but mm-hmm. if you have to say what is how you can distinguish the intuition from fear which how you will um, what will be your um, answer to that
0: I love what you just said because getting into a space of stillness and calm we so rarely do that now if you have five minutes to wait for an appointment you pull out your phone and you're on social media or you're checking your email we don't allow ourselves time I think about and there's research to back this up which I don't have my finger on a study right now but people get great ideas in the shower because for 10 minutes they're just with themselves their thoughts and the water and so it's it's an opportunity to just quiet everything all the chatter in our brains all the 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 constant pull of the phone and to to let that intuition raise its voice and speak to us another thought which i did when i was in the wrong engagement i started journaling quite a bit and when i would write down my thoughts diana i would say things like i would say things and i mean it's 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 i can't even recognize the person i was and i was a fully formed adult at 34 i was already a psychologist i mean I should have known better, but I wasn't letting that that intuition speak to me. I was drowning it out with all my rational ideas of, well, it makes sense and it's time and you want to have a family. But when I wrote in my journal, I would write things like, well, some people get to marry the love of their life and other people's don't people don't. So and what am I actually hoping for? What what kind of butterflies and zazazoo Zoo do I want to feel? This is a good man he's solid. He's a, a good citizen. This'll be good, good enough. And so when you write out your thoughts, then you look at them in black and white in front of your face. And then you go, wait a minute. So getting those thoughts on paper, then you can go, and like you said, my intuition is telling me this isn't right. And then I look at what I'm saying, and that's how to step with my values. Good enough is never good enough. I I want to thrive in all realms of my life. And certainly I want to marry the love of my life. And certainly I want an epic, extraordinary love. I don't want a mediocre love. So when you write things out, you can identify, well, the fear is speaking there. I'm saying good enough is going to be good enough because I'm afraid that if I let go of this, no one else will propose marriage to me. If I let go of this, I'll never have the life that I imagine. And then I finally came to the point, and this is another key point regarding fear, where I realized I was more fearful of being stuck in the wrong marriage than being alone, even if it meant being alone forever.
1: I love that. I love that. But maybe this is applicable for you because good enough is not good enough for you, right? But right, right. it should be okay. And if for somebody good enough is good enough, then it's okay, right? We mm-hmm. all have choices. Mm-hmm. But some people, they don't want mediocre relationships in life and they go for, um, for better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So intuition, stillness, you've suggested also uh, journaling, right? So mm-hmm. um, maybe people can take from that. And uh, once again, you mentioned that this is scientifically proven, right? That there are more and more researches that basically intuition is our second brain.
0: Yes, that is coming out more and more in the literature. And another tidbit that's sci- scientifically proven is that when you journal, You may be able to have a little bit better vantage point on your journaling experience if you write in the third person. So instead of saying, I feel this, Karen feels this or Mm -hmm. Karen is worried. A little bit of, of separation between yourself allows you to look at your journaling with more empathy and with more objectivity. I think about it this way, and I'm sure you've said this with your community when you are in an experience, think about what would your best friend tell you, <laughs> right? So if I share with my best friend, which I did eventually, I don't think I'm madly in love with my fiance the way I need to be. My best friend told me, okay, pump the brakes, stop now. So we have to look at ourselves and and talk to ourselves the way the people who love us most would. I
1: love it. I love it, Dr. Kelly. Okay. And um, I'm sure that there are some people out there who are in un- unhealthy relationships, and they pretty much realize that. Mm-hmm. However, the fear really paralyzes them from moving and uh, like it it becomes even more difficult with age. That That's why uh, people are more likely mm-hmm. to settle for less than what they deserve with getting older, right? So, um, what would be your advice to those self-sabotage how we can overcome those self-sabotaging thoughts like well what i have even if it's kind of unhealthy it's pretty much better than just uh, being alone or single or or those thoughts like but what if i i don't find anybody i'm like alone single for the rest of my life this is a huge fear Mm -hmm. what is your advice for those people that are dealing with that
0: Yeah, we see this all the time, especially once people have children. And I totally understand not wanting to break up a family. Uh, My husband, yeah, my husband was married before and the marriage wasn't working for quite a while, but he stayed longer for the children. And I, I admire that kids do do better in an intact family. So I understand there can be extenuating circumstances that would keep someone connected to someone for a time. And then sometimes people, even when the kids have kids, they just they don't want to have all these different homes for the grandkids to have to visit. I understand that. I would recommend if you're going to stay in something. And you know it's maybe not the best. Maybe you married super young and you realized you grew in different directions. But if you decide to stay, then that's your decision. And make the best of it. Don't stay and be angry and miserable and complain. Go get some help. I, I, even if you know, gosh, if I had to do all over, I probably shouldn't have. Maybe I married this person for the wrong reasons in the first place. But if you do decide to stay, then i it's not fair to to make each other miserable. That would be my recommendation, but I see it all the time. You see people who just stay for the family and and make each other miserable. But then I guess if they do want to face those fears, I also know people who have left and they are still alone. And they go, okay, I, I am alone, but I don't have to be lonely. Those are two very different concepts. Mm-hmm. And I can fill my life with other beautiful relationships. I can get plugged into my volunteer work. There's so much research that people feel less lonely. They have, they derive so much meaning from their lives. If they throw themselves into volunteer work, to, into their passions, I, I, I think we're all wired to, to want to find our person. I think most of us are. There are a few handful of people who prefer life alone, they're reclusive, that's fine. But I think for most of us, it will feel like a void of some sort. And I would just say, if you do decide to step away, I guess it would ask yourself the question that I asked myself, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, are you more scared of being alone for a period of time? Or are you more scared of staying in this relationship that is mediocre or worse, and always wondering, what if? I'd had the courage to see if there was my person out there.
1: Exactly. And I think that I have read somewhere, how was the name of the study? Was it 18 long term studies or something like that? I'm not quite sure that basically uh, through this study, they discovered that marriage don't give you happiness. It gives you happiness from the, in the very beginning in this honeymoon phase. But then it's all the same. So basically, if you are unhappy person uh, without a marriage, you will be unhappy person in a marriage, right? I'm not quite sure about the, the name of the study, but I can check it and share later with the, with people.
0: I remember that study. And that's exactly right. There's a brief honeymoon period and then there's no difference. And be, And I put it this way in a post one time. Happy singles make happy marriages. It's not that unhappy singles get married and then become happy. You, you said it exactly right. In fact, I uh, had a Dr. Alan Francis is a psychiatrist here in America, and he came on my program a long time ago to talk about uh, the pharmaceutical corporations and their heavy influence in psychotherapy to where we are medicalizing. His book is called Saving Normal. And he's concerned with the medicalization of emotion. So every time you feel sad, you have depression. Or every time you feel nervous, you have anxiety. He was taking issue with that. And he spoke to happiness. And one of the things I'll never forget, he talked about a study that was done back in the 80s when AIDS first came out and people were so scared and people were getting it. And it was a death sentence at that time. You, There were no treatments that they knew of at that point in time. And he said that they followed these, these gentlemen who had AIDS. And it's kind of like what you talked about when they first found out their, their diagnosis, there was a dramatic drop in their happiness, obviously, because they're terrified and they're, they're, they're depressed and they're sad because they have this horrible yeah. terminal illness. But then after a couple months, their happiness level went back to baseline. If they were miserable people before the diagnosis, they went back to being miserable. But if they were happy before the diagnosis, they went back to being happy, which really just underscores your point that happiness is, it's very much, and I don't wanna minimize anyone's pain, anyone who's hurting right now or struggling. I've been in dark, dark moments myself, but your happiness is ultimately in your hands. And I believe as someone who speaks to marriage, it's actually very unloving. To get married and then expect your partner to make you happy—that's very unloving. It's putting emotional burden on them that they can't do, and it's not their yes. responsibility.
1: Exactly. Yes. So we can just summarize that single doesn't mean miserable, and uh, married doesn't mean happy. So this is like a sentence people can, you know, repeat in uh, in their mind when they feel really fearful about getting the right step and i may i I may sound like i'm encouraging people (laughs) to get divorced this is not the case not at all no No, this is the great thing that can happen to us right to be really uh like to be loved to be in great marriage but i'm encouraging people to insist on being loved properly Mm. Mm -hmm. that's what i'm saying and I'm uh, with you, <laughs> Dr. Karen. There are uh, there are some people in relationships that are dealing with very narcissistic
0: and mm-hmm. also
1: psychopathic, sociopathic um, partners, which is, I guess, a huge deal. This is not an easy task because, like, the abuse, gaslighting, control, manipulation—I'm mm-hmm. really frightening Them. What would be your uh, your advice for those people? How they can
0: uh, deal with those parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, first of all, get connected with a, an an expert. I know of a psychologist out of the UK who came on my podcast called Dr. Annie Kazina. I believe I have her last name right. And she specializes in this because when you're dealing with that level of Lack of empathy, like you said, gaslighting, manipulation. It is very hard to see clearly because these narcissists are masters at making you think that any concern you have, any feeling, any thought you have, is your problem. You're the one who screwed up. They are perfect, and it's really hard to see clearly. I know so many women suffer from narcissistic abuse, but again, this is when you need to connect with someone who's an expert in this area. Read some books. I know there's a book called Walking on Eggshells. That's really been helpful for women who've experienced that. And then I would also recommend this is a time to connect with your truth telling friends. And I, I, I honor what you said earlier. You're like, I don't like to get into people's business unless I see something really detrimental. And I'm the same way. I try to, if my friends are happy, I'm happy for them at the same time. If you are sensing, I think I might be in some sort of abusive relationship at this point, narcissistic abuse, I would really recommend having a heart to heart with one of your friends to say, this is what I'm feeling. Can you give me a little feedback? Have you noticed anything like that? Because until you get outside of the dynamic of the two of you, your objectivity, your your clarity is definitely going to have been diminished because of just how good they are at what they do.
1: Yes, I agree with you. And of course, if somebody can afford that psychotherapy, this is like, uh, also like a very uh, important way way to deal with such people. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dr. Karen, do you think that we attract all these unhealthy relationships? Let's go into the law of attraction area. <laughs> do you think that we attract that? And if so, why, why we do that?
0: Yeah, well, I am no expert on the law of attraction, but I also believe in energy and I believe that there are things that are happening that we can't see or touch and therefore we may minimize their importance. But I'll let's give an example. I remember even as a young girl, I remember there were all these graduation parties after we graduated eighth grade, getting ready to go to high school. And there were so many of them. And I remember a couple of times I just, I was really nervous and I didn't know who I was going to talk to. And so I had a bad attitude going to the party. And guess what? I had a horrible time. And then I kind of checked myself because even as a young kid, I was taking charge of my thoughts to take charge of my life. That's my tagline for my podcast. And I I told myself, Karen, why don't you put your shoulders back, get in a positive space, walk into that party assuming you're going to have fun Guaranteeing you're going to have fun by projecting all this positive energy. And what do you think happened? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then you had a lot of fun, I guess, right? Exactly. And even in my marital therapy class back when I was getting my master's in clinical psychology, I remember my marital therapist teacher saying that water seeks its own level. So if you think of like a U shaped kind of pipe and you pour the water in here, it's not going to have one side be up top and one side be low. Water is going to always seek its own level. I'm not sure if my, my hand diagram's working. But the idea is that to the extent that I'm putting out positivity, hope, belief, energy, warmth, love, laughter, to the extent that I'm putting that out, that is what I'm going to attract to me. And certainly, and this is one thing I caution any of my ladies out there who have been heartbroken. And like I said earlier, I was there. I was heartbroken so many times. I thought, oh, how many more can I endure? But to my ladies who, who are getting down in the dumps or starting to go, all men are jerks and all men are dogs. And to the extent that you carry that energy with you, is it even possible for you to find a, a, a positive person when all you're kicking out in your energetic sphere is negativity? And one term from psych research that I think is applicable here as well. We call it the confirmation bias and it's a, a it's a term from social psychology.
1: Yes.
0: Yes, yes, it's so applicable here. That and it th- there's many studies on it. So if anyone's curious, check out confirmation bias and all the work in social psychology about it. Which basically says we don't—we don't perceive our world as it actually is. It'd be nice if we did, but we don't. We have these biases, these assumptions, these beliefs that color what we see. So if I'm out there going, "All guys are jerks. All guys are cheaters. All guys are no good. The only guys that ever want to talk to me are married, and all the single guys are are too wimpy to talk to me." I'm assuming that that's what's there in my reality and in my landscape. That is exactly what I'll see. I will literally not be able to see the guys that don't fit my bias. And I will, I'll just, they'll, they won't even be on my radar. And what a horrible thing to not see the guys that you claim you want, because you're so convinced that all the guys out there are no good. And this becomes such a such a
1: uh, vicious cycle. Yes. Because
0: mm-hmm. Every
1: time you confirm one and the same, one and the same, and you go outside mm-hmm. and it's the same, and That's then you right. say, you see? It's you see? what I <laughs> You see? Right. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I so much um, believe in this confirmation bias, and it's applicable to everything, basically. Whatever it's oh. turns uh, in your mind, you're thinking like your belief, then you go out, you'll find it. 100% sure. Yep. So I think we answered this question and uh, that unconditional love exists.
0: Dr. K. I don't recommend unconditional love, not for partnerships, perhaps between a parent and a child. I think that's probably where it might lay and more from the parent unconditionally loving the child. Although if a child were horribly abusive, which happens, I wouldn't recommend it either. So I guess my My final answer is no. I don't believe in unconditional love except from God (laughs) because I don't – if you say I will love you unconditionally, you're opening up the realm of possibility where someone is going to abuse you and you're like, I said I would love you unconditionally. I said I would stand by my man no, no matter what, no matter how many affairs he's had on me, no matter how many times he's been abusive emotionally, physically. So I don't believe in it. I that's probably another unpopular opinion.
1: <laughs> I'm with you. I I also don't believe in unconditional love except for um maybe I'm not a parent but maybe child parent maybe there yes but in relationships. I mean we have to meet our needs, right? In we have to this is receiving and giving, receiving and giving and it can't be just I we won't only receive or only give. So Yes, I'm with you. And at the end of this show, Dr. Keren, I will just start the sentence. I'm always playing this game. Yes. I, will okay. start, I will start the sentence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I would like to ask you to finish this sentence without thinking too much. Whenever comes to your mind, okay. just one sentence, but you can use more than one word.
0: All right. Okay. All right. Here we go.
1: So, the main reason, in my opinion, for people to stay in unhealthy relationship is? Fear. There isn't a worse thing in a relationship than? Abuse. There isn't a better thing in a relationship than?
0: Feeling fully seen and heard and loved for exactly who you are.
1: If people really want to improve their relationships, they should
0: treat each other with m- the most kindness give each other the most kindness and respect more than anyone else that you give that to
1: the world without love will be
0: hell <laughs> and love is love is love is everything it's the reason and it's what I think so many many of us seek, and I do believe it's available for all of us.
1: I wish the all the people watching, uh, watching us or listening to us right now
0: would maintain hope and belief that they will meet their person.
1: Thank you very much for your time, Doctor Karen. As usual, it was such a ple- such a pleasure to talk to you and to share this value with other people that are watching or listening to us right now.
0: Oh, it was such an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. We have connected over the years now via Instagram and through email, but it's so nice to kind of, kind of meet you more face-to-face. And it's, like I said, such an honor to share with your community. Thank you very much for having me on the program. The love and life hack for this week is I'm sticking with it. Relationships should be... Ultimately, pretty darn easy when we are with someone with whom we are compatible and we're both wired in a way that makes our connection fluid, natural, and yes, easy. Thank you so much for sharing a portion of your day with us. It means so much to us. Like I said, Elliot and I have so much great stuff coming for the month of love for Valentine's month. Stay tuned, we're here for you, and we're excited to share with you throughout the month and moving forward. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week.
1: Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.